1 John chapter number 4, please. 1 John chapter 4. Let's begin reading together in verse number 7, and we will read into the next, the few verses of the next chapter as well. Beginning in verse number 7, 1 John chapter 4, John writes and says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe that the love, the love that God has for us, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. So this is a commandment that we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Our dear Heavenly Father, now we come to you as having the opportunity to have sung your praises, the opportunity to have uh, read your scriptures, the opportunity to have uh, remembered your death, and in remembering your death, your resurrection, and your soon return. And now we desire to, as we study your scriptures, that you would address our hearts, you would accomplish 
your purpose in us that would draw us nigh to you, that you would transform us into the image of your Son um, from one degree of glory to another. Our hearts are yielded to you and trust that you would have your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you paid any attention as we read through the passage of Scripture, you know that the passage is speaking about love. Uh, love is, is, is an important topic in every area of life, whether you are a Christian or not. In fact, as I was studying this, I was thinking about all the different love songs that I grew up with back when music was good in the 70s. And one of the songs that, that popped up in my head was, um, was written by John Lennon, uh, All You Need Is Love. All You Need Is Love. That's the whole chorus, All You Need Is Love. And it's really a catchy tune, and I love singing it. Um, interestingly, though, as a teenager when I listened to it, um, I never actually paid attention to what the words were. So I looked up the lyrics. I still don't know what it means, except all we need is love. It's pretty nonsensical. Um, I, I looked up, first Google always has these different categories under it. So what do the lyrics mean? See, because I'm not the only one who doesn't understand the lyrics. And it said that, it, that John Lennon um, t uh, used different quotes to prove that he was a revolutionary, that he was a revolutionary. And so that's what it means, it, which means he didn't know what they meant either. Um, but, but it pretty much de describes the, the understanding or the idea of love that the world would have because absent from God, there is no true understanding of what God really is. If God truly is love, then we find our definition in God. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But, but as we read through this passage of Scripture, we, we are reminded that the John over and again circles back to the same subject. There are three, three at least three different areas that... that John returns to, cycles back to, throughout the letter. And the, the intent of this letter and the intent of him continuing to circle back to each of these topics is to give the assurance to his readers, and therefore to you and to me, the assurance that we belong to God, that we are born of God. Uh, one of those things that he returns to has to do with our faith, with belief. We have the, uh, the capacity to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We have the capacity to believe that Jesus has come in the flesh. We talked about this in the first seven verses of chapter 4. The second has to do with obedience. There is a, a change in our hearts and a change in our relationship toward the law, if you will. His, his commandments are not burdensome, we just, we've just read. So there is a difference, right? We've talked about this before. There's a difference in our adherence to the, the commands or the law of God. Uh, when we see it more as a, as a rule book, as a list of do's and don'ts, um, we, we might be able to check it off on the outside. But we learned this morning in our study of Leviticus that the offerings, the sacrifices that were made uh, were valid only as, as it was offered with a heart of, of worship. Enough. So just as the obedience of the law, it, it changes when we understand our relationship to the lawgiver. We, 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 we serve him because we love him. And there's a whole difference in our obedience. But the third thing that John circles back to is this love, particularly uh, love toward one, one another. And those three areas... Um, 
faith, faith, obedience, and love are knitted together. And we'll see that even in this text here as we make our way through this passage of Scripture. We're not going to look at the entire text that we've read this morning. We're just going to look at a couple of things. But I, I wanted to look at this passage of Scripture in, in uh, three, possibly four points. And we'll look at the first two this morning. Why we love one another. We love one another because we are born of God. We love one another because God first loved us. We love one another because God has given us his spirit. And we love one another because it assures our hearts before God. There are five, actually. We love one another because we have overcome the world. Let me just tell you right now, those titles are dynamic. They may change by next week because they just do. Um, but I, I entitled this, this study in this passage is We Love One Another. Don't want us to forget, as we look at this passage, that the intent of John driving this this point home of loving one another, the intent and the purpose of him spending much time on it is because our love for one another bears witness to the fact that we are born of God. So it's to give assurance as to our ownership of who owns us, of who is our life. Um, So let's just, kind of, let's just jump right into the, the passage itself. And, and we're going to look at this first two verses, verses 7 and 8. And we're going to entitle, that, entitle it, We Love One Another Because We Are Born of God. It's not the first time that John uses that terminology. It is not the first time that John refers to our, our belonging to God. In fact, we rehearsed last week the first opening verses of chapter 3. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. In fact, I believe it is still an ongoing thought in John's mind as he's, as he's writing these words down. But he, he, his argument in these this first two verses is that we love one another because we are born of God. Um, I, I think before we, we move on, um, it's important for us to address, I think, it's an elephant in the, in the room as we read through the passage of Scripture. In this letter, especially in this passage, John is instructing his readers specifically about the believer's love for other believers. If we're not careful, we would, we would forget that our calling as God's people, as Christians is also to love our enemies as well. Um, Jesus, uh, Jesus instructed us in Luke chapter 6 that we are to love our enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Again, not something that comes naturally to the human heart but it does come supernaturally by the Spirit of God who empowers us to do such things. Uh, the Lord taught that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And, I, and you know that the next uh, is that you will love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, there is no other commandment beside or greater than these. Remember the attorney speaking to Jesus on this instance said, well, Lord, who's my neighbor? And his whole discourse on the good Samaritan. And, the, and he asked, who is the, who is the, the neighbor? Well, the whole, whole thrust of that teaching was, you be that neighbor. Wherever you are, you are to be the good neighbor. But both James and, and the Apostle Paul refers to this in, in their letters, that the love, the love God has bestowed upon us is to be for the sake of the gospel, extended to all people, whether they belong to God or not. But here in this passage, in this letter, John is putting forth particular things that assures the heart of the saints that they belong to God. And one of these things is the love that we have toward one another. Notice once again John's term of endearment here. Beloved. It's pretty common throughout his letter. He uses the different terms uh, in re referring or in writing to his readers, but he uses this term, the beloved. And it tells us that John calls his readers to love one another as those who themselves or those of us ourselves who are beloved. So he's referring to us who are beloved. His readers were beloved by John, but not just by John, but by God himself. So at the very start, even in this term of endearment, he is reminding them that we love because God loved you. You are loved. And he's going to expand on that in just a minute. It is only right, however, that the saints love one another because we ourselves are loved of God. So we are fellow loved ones. We are brothers and sisters who are loved by the Father. Um, notice the progression of John's thoughts as, as to why we ought to love one another. First, because love is from God. Second of all, because whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And third, because in contrast, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Let's consider these for just a moment. Love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Interestingly, the emphasis here is the source the source from which both love and the saint come. Love is sourced from God because God is love. And second of all, the saint is sourced from God because he is born of God. Another way of wording it might be, we love one another, we love one another because of who we are. By the way, let's, not, let's be careful not to miss this. Notice, notice the, that, that John is speaking of reciprocating 
love. That is, we are to love one another. It's, uh, it's a give and take. It is a relational picture that he is given, giving to us. And, and the reason I think it's important for us to, to at least keep in mind about this is that we often read the scriptures as it applies to me and to me alone. It's very personal. It's very very me-centered. That's how we often read the scriptures. But the bulk of the scriptures was written, was written to the church, to the body of Christ, to the gathering of the saints. And so it reminds us that although in application, each individual is to respond accordingly, the instruction and the practice is given to the church as a corporate body. And this will come up again later in the passage that is before us. And there's another factor that is, that is noted here. Not only are you born of God, but you also know God. The term is relational. You, you, you not just know about someone, you know someone, you know him. Obviously, this coincides with being born of God because God, in his loving kindness, has not only forgiven you of your sin against him, which would be far and above more than what we deserve, it would be an act of great mercy if he stopped there. If he had just forgiven you your sin and let you off the hook, having it paid for. But God takes one more step in not only forgiving, forgiving a rebel their, their sin by paying the penalty for their sin, but he goes beyond that by adopting that rebel as his own so that we have a new type of relationship with him. So it's not merely a sinner that is forgiven and a God who, who has extended that forgiveness. That's wonderful. That'd be wonderful, but he doesn't stop there. A new relationship, a different type of relationship, is that we are children of God. We belong to him. We are united with God. This, John repeats that over and again here, that God is in us and we are in God. There is a uniting with God. We are relation, We're in a right relationship with God. We are in a personal relationship with God as much as is possible with a God who transcends all of creation, which plays a big part into the extent that love is displayed. So not only do we relate to him as our God and creator, we now relate to him as our Savior and Lord. And more than that, we relate to him as our loving Father. Again, the emphasis is the source from which we love one another. We love one another because of who we are. That is what defines the Christian or one of the things that defines a Christian. We love one another because our familial relationships with relationship with God, we are born of God. So the call to love one another is not a call to summon up to, 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 to summon up the strength and fortitude to love those weirdos that gather together on Sunday mornings that are not normal like I am. That's not the idea there that we're, we, we're gritting our teeth and be, I'm going to love you because God commanded me to love you. He, he has. But the love we have for one another is not because we're commanded to love one another. The call to love one another is grounded 
in who you are. And John drives this truth home by using the contrast. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. The evidence of your of you being born the evidence of your born of God status is the capacity to love one to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. The evidence that you do not know God is your inability and your unwillingness to love the saints. That describes the capacity to do so. Those who are not born of God do not have the capacity to love the saints. Those who are not born of God do not have the desire to truly love the saints. Now let's clarify this for just a moment. It does not mean that an unbeliever is incapable of performing acts of love. He is fully capable of performing acts of love. History bears witness to many who served and who sacrificed and who died for the sake of others. But John is referring to familial relationships, and therefore this statement alludes to what he has had asserted earlier in chapter 3. If you would, just turn back to verse number 11 of John chapter 3. John says, This is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that you should love one another. And then he says, We should not be like Cain, who was, and listen to the terminology he uses here, it's the exact same terminology when he says that love is of, is from God, and we are born of God. It is the same Greek word there, that word ek. We are of, we are from God. He says here that we should not be like Cain, who was of, sourced from, the evil one. And he murdered his brother, there was a biological relationship, but they were born from different fathers spiritually. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Let's continue reading in verse number 13. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Loving one another is the direct outcome of familial ties being born of God and bearing his characteristics. So we love one another because we are born of God. We love one another because of who we are. That is 
our identity, one of the things that identify us. The second thing that we find in this passage, beginning in verse, beginning in verse number nine, is that we love one another because God loved us. Let's read those verses again together, beginning in the latter part of verse number eight, where he says, God is love. Now, verse number nine, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, for if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. God is love, it is of interest here. And it, and it links John's first point to the second, God is love. To say that God is love is to speak of love as one of God's attributes, or what we might call his perfections. The, the, his perfections would include things such as God is just. God is merciful. God is eternal. God is holy. And here, God is love. Uh, as with all of his perfections, all of his attributes, love finds its definition in God. He is, he is the epitome of his perfections. He is the definition of each. Because, because he is self-existent, he is all that he is, even if he had not created, and even if there was no one there to observe it. Are you still following me? So that is just who he is, even if it's even if he never created and it was not observable by, create, by creatures. He is who he is. In a sense, this is the meaning that when God said to Moses, I am that I am. But the fact is, God did create. I, I hope you, you're following my train of thought. There really is a train of thought. I know that might be a surprise to you, but there is a train of thought here. Um, but God did, in his very being, he did create. And it is in his creation that he displays his perfections for his glory. God created the heavens and the earth. God created all things, first and foremost, for his glory. And I, I, we, We've... We don't ever want to forget that even our salvation, God redeemed us. God sent his son into the world. God expressed his love toward us or manifested his love toward us, first and foremost, to display his glory. It is for his glory that he created all things. In turn, 
when his glory is displayed or is manifested, it is for the good of his creation. So when John asserts that God is love, what does that mean? How would you define love? Theoretically, love is defined here as God. So if you were to go to your dictionary or to Google, which would look up the dictionary, Webster Dictionary says that love is an intense feeling of deep affection. It is great, a great interest and pleasure in something. Um, the Oxford Dictionary is very similar. There are many others that are, you might be able to find where, where there might, with a quick Google search, most attempts to define love has to do with personal feelings and affections. However, the best way to define love is not necessarily to put on paper its definition, but the best way to define love is by showing what love looks like. Especially, what does love look like in relationship toward others? Thus, God created the heavens and the earth. God created mankind that his love might be manifested to his creatures, to his creation. Verse number nine, the love of God was made manifest. So John first tells us that God is love, in, verse, in the latter part of verse number 8, and then he states in verse number 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us. So rather than define it, God's love supreme was manifested. It was demonstrated. It was made known, and John bore witness to this in the person of Christ. This is what love looks like, is what he has recorded for us in the word of God. Read again with me in your Bibles, beginning in the latter part of verse number 9. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this, verse number 10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but rather he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That is what love looks like, is what John is saying here. This is what, John, this is what love looks like. And it's two-pronged. First, God sent his son, uh, God, God the son, took on flesh to live in perfect righteousness while dwelling within a vile and, abomin and an abominable cesspool of a world so that we might live through him, so that we might have life, a life that was, that was lost when we fell, when man fell, we have been given life that is sourced from God. But the second prong to this is that God loved us and sent his son to lay down his life in order to satisfy the just requirements of God's holiness, the demands of his law, of his justice, paying in full the debt for our sins. So let's see if we might put some descriptors on God's manifested love that John speaks of in these verses. It is a, this manifested love is a sacrificial love. It is costly because God sent his son, right? So, so God so loved the world that it was manifested in that he sent his only begotten son. Uh, this manifested love is otherly, my, my um, 
my computer doesn't like that word otherly. It's a misspelled misspelling, but I don't care. It's a good word. It's otherly. God loved us. It is directed to his people. Again, love is expressed not by emotion, but by action. Manifested love is unconditionally proactive. He first loved us. It's not that we loved him. This was not prompted. His love for us was not prompted by our loving him. Quite the opposite. God's love toward us was in spite of our hostility toward him. God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet in our sin, hostile against him, Christ died for us. Manifested love is intentional and with purpose that we might live. How? By him satisfying the requirements of God's justice. Verse 11 brings John's assertion to a point. After describing what love looks like through God's love for us, he brings things home. If God so loved us, if God loved us in such a way, we also ought to love one another. We are to love one another because God has loved us. One final verse here, and I think, I think at least in, in, for me, it, it brings these things together. God's love is perfected. Verse number 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. This really ties in the, the unknowable God is love unless God has revealed it to us. He brings us in together. He says, no one has ever seen God, but, and, and really that, that whole idea of no one has ever seen God is pertinent, I think, to John's, John's thinking. God is unknown to his creation except what he has revealed about himself. So outside of divine revelation, no one has ever seen God. And yet, if we love one another, if we love one another, we can know with great confidence that God, this invisible God, abides in us and his love is perfected in us. We may not be able to see God as such. God is a spirit. But the capacity to love one another assures us that this invisible God abides in us. In addition, his love is perfected in us. What does that mean when he says that his love is perfected in us? The idea behind his love being perfected in us is not the idea of having a flawless love one toward another. The idea is, the idea is that, it, that, that it has that God's love for us has reached its desired goal and purpose. So if we love one another, we can be assured the first, it is that first, it is because God abides in us, but second, we can know that his love 
is reaching its desired goal and purpose. What is its de desired goal and purpose? That it is, it is extended to, uh, to one another. It's a reminder that God's love toward us is not static, where, where, where it would find its termination in us. But God's love is dynamic and is, is to flow through us toward one another. God's work and God's love is accomplished and is, is perfected in us when it is put into practice in loving one another. And how are we to love one another? In the same fashion in which God has loved us. And that is that we are to, um, we are to love sacrificially. That is, we are to put others first. I think the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 2 uh, that we are to esteem others better than ourselves. That is how we are to live. That is how we are to relate to one another. That we see everyone else as of greater importance than we are. That is so contrary to the human heart, even the Christian heart. But God says, because we are born of God, and because God has loved us, and he, because he has manifested his love toward us, we can love one another. We have been given the capacity to place the value of others above our own selves. We are to love one another. It is otherly. It is reaching out to those that perhaps do not fit in our own circles, but it is to love all, even the unlovable. We are to love one another proactively. And again, this is contrary to the human heart. We love you because we love someone because they love us. Oh, he's such a nice guy. Why is he a nice guy? Well, because he thinks I'm pretty cool. So I love him back. Well, what about the guy that thinks you're a jerk? Yeah, you'd love them too. It is proactive. You initiate that. Even if, it does, even if it is not returned, we are to be proactive in our love for one another. And it is with a purpose. What is the purpose? That God's love would be perfected in us to the praise and the glory of his son. This is the life of the believer. This is the life of the body of Christ. This is how we relate to one another. This is what sets the world, sets the, the believer apart from the world. By this will all men know that you are my disciples, if what? If you have love one toward another. It is a super, it, it, I, I hate to even use the word supernatural, because I think in God's economy that is natural, but there is a supernatural power of the indwelling spirit of God in us that has changed us has regenerated us and has given us a new relationship with God in that we are new creatures, new creations. We are right with God, and God then has called us to extend that same love to one another. Loving one another assures our hearts that God abides in us and we in him. Or well, may that be a reality in our lives as we love one another. Thank you, dear Heavenly Father, for loving us. Had you not, had you not taken the initiative 
to love us in spite of our hostility toward you, we would all be utterly condemned. You loved us not because we were lovable, but because of who you are. So by your indwelling spirit, through the ministry, through your word, teach us to love one another because of who we are. And in this, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.